Welcome to episode 20 of the Half Point for Podcast, an early morning show. We tried to wait out the presidential election last night, Tuesday night. Didn't work. We're still waiting. It's 8 a.m. It's great to be here with Dalton Willie, Johnny Fam. Dalton, how's it going bright and early on this uh, pretty nice Kansas morning? I am incredibly happy that we can't count votes any quicker. And so... <laughs> We are in the lovely world where it looks like I won't know who is my president until Friday. <laughs> Johnny, how's it going, bud? It is 7 a.m. here, and I am tired, but I'm glad we've made it a fifth of a century of podcast episodes. New record. You know, I'm I'm glad that you learned to turn your space heater on before the pod. It really, really made things better for you. Okay, most people would think you just flip the switch and it's on. That's how typical space heaters are. But apparently it's 2020 and it's also a fan. So I've just been sitting with my feet with the fan on for a while <laughs> and decided to pick it up and it was on the wrong setting. So now we know. What's your temperature there? Uh, I think it's like 50, 51 or it's 45 right now. Ooh, sounds like you're just being a little soft. That's not that cold. No, no, no. I'm upstairs, so it's a little colder upstairs. Heat Stop. rises. Heat rises. Heat does not rise here. <laughs> that is a false statement that you've heard. It does not rise here. All righty. Well, it was an interesting week eight, especially on the DraftKings slate. Dalton, I don't know about you. Did you end up cashing out anything? $2. I cat. I cashed out $6 with Jimmy Garoppolo as my quarterback. So if that does not tell you how well the rest of my team performed for the most part, I mean, Dolphins defense was the call of the day, right? They, if, if they would have scored that third defensive touchdown, it, it, it would have been, it would have been big time. Yeah. Dolphins defense was in the money and they are not to be disrespected. <laughs> <laughs> I told, I, I said on the live stream, I said, I think this is going to be a bad Jared Goff game and boy, howdy, it was, it was a bad Jared Goff game. So good for me. Glad that I could still have my quarterback score. Like it was like 1.75 points and, and won $6 happy about that. Uh, but we've got a lot to get to today i know we said we were going to go to the afc today but we're actually going to flip flop we'll do afc next week today we are going to look back at some of the early season calls that we made or preseason calls that we made we're going to pick two each that we still think are going to be right by season's end and then two that we're going that we think we're just wrong on that we're flat wrong on that is going to end up wrong it's either wrong now or going to be wrong by the end of the season and then we're both going to pick the mvp for the second half of the season, and Dalton, unless you've got anything to add, we can we can jump right into these uh, into these calls of ours. No, I'm ready to jump right in. Uh, you want to start with who who we missed on or who we hit on? Well, I I guess my the ones I'm right on. I went. Let, let's just go right and then and then wrong. We'll do it that way. All right. Who do you have at number one? All right. So the first guy that I've been right on so far, and I'm very confident that I'm going to be right on the rest of season. This is probably pretty predictable for you. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster. I am pretty confident I'm correct on this guy. As, as labeling him a bust, he was drafted as a top 10 receiver. And I said, I, I went back and listened to some of our early podcasts on, on two-time speed, which like, if you've never listened to a podcast like that, it's an experience, let me tell you, number one. Um, number two, I said Deontay Johnson is someone that I really like and I think could be a really good player. And the gap between those two was way too wide. And it's funny, I also mentioned Chase Claypool. 
I said I didn't think he'd be a factor, but I thought it could be a signaling of a changing of the guard, um, which that is exactly kind of what it's looked like, except Chase Claypool has been a stud on, on top of that. Um, I didn't think that we were acknowledging Juju's downside um, coming into the season, and he's he's kind of just a slot guy who he just has never looked as good as he did that year with Antonio Brown on the outside. Um, I said this is exactly word for word what I said. The downside scares me. I think he could be a guy who you're going to be flexing, but he'll hurt you because you have to start him every week, and he's going to not put up big weeks more often than not. And that is pretty much exactly what it's been. Um, his game log, 21.9, 8.3, 14.3, 4.8, 1.6, 13, and 10. He has 22 targets in his last two games. But before that, he'd only been above six targets once. So I would sell him right now, um, personally, off off name value if I could. Because he's had a pretty decent last two games. It was pretty good um, just the other day, actually. And for the record... He has 74 points through seven games. He's wide receiver 31. Um, what's funny is Odell is wide receiver 30. He's still hanging on, just barely ahead of him, even though he's only played basically six full games and is out for the rest of the season. Yeah, I figured we were talk about this one. Um, first, I, you know, I do think the craziness that is the wide receiver situation in Pittsburgh has contributed to this, which Chase Claypool is actually the highest scoring wide receiver on that offense right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Deontay Johnson. But that's only because Deontay Johnson is apparently made of uh, rubber bands and glass. Yeah. Well, did he leave last week or did he just not show up? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know what the situation was. I don't. I don't know. I I know he played the whole game. I'm pretty sure, but whether or not he left for a portion of it, who knows? He's he's new Will Fuller, but he's actually like really good. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, <laughs> yeah, but the real issue with Juju is that his usage and his A dot are just so so low. It's incredible. Um, you know, there's an article on Roto World that I was reading last week, and I don't remember the details. I'm trying to find it right now. That it, it the the entire article is, is Juju a wide receiver one anymore? And I know they come to the conclusion that uh, it's not been his catch rate because I think he has he hasn't a drop pass the entire season. I think he has 40 straight catches or something akin to that. Uh, it's just really he's been targeted by such a low breakdown. He's targeted within the five-yard line on like 80% of his targets that he just can't make any viability out of those fantasy-wise. Uh, and if that usage continues, it's probably not a player you want to have on your roster. Uh, I agree with you. I, I would trade him at this point if I had him. It just looks like Claypool and Deontay Johnson are getting the outside stuff and they're doing it well, so there's no reason to change that up. Mm-hmm. And. And in addition to that, um, Big Ben can actually throw the ball outside still, which is really important uh, because Juju's just not seen the targets he is. And Eric Ebron has taken away some of the the higher value intermediate targets that you might have hoped their slot guy is getting. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing that helps you, I, I think you can probably still start Juju, but I think you could probably trade him up based on name value in his last two games for, for something better than he's going to be, or at least more upside is going to be because he's pretty much just parked inside you mentioned the a dot super low Claypool's starting to get the wide receiver one treatment from other teams so maybe that's helping juju a little bit too on the inside but like you said the upside just just isn't there and basically when he doesn't score a touchdown it's not a big week for juju smith schuster this year which you know it's fine he's had a fine year but it's just not what you paid for as a top 10 um overall wide receiver uh you know third fourth round pick uh, coming into the season yeah and i mean on the note of juju too 
he still is at least I think you're getting a little more of a safer floor with him. I know he's had a couple one point games. I don't think those would continue. Uh, I feel like he's probably a safer floor if you're trying to sell him as a as a good bet for a team that just needs a flex player. Um, I, he still has wide receiver one upside, but I think that only comes from yards after the catch, and that's just a lot harder for him to get those in. Mm-hmm. All righty. Um, who, who's your first guy? So my first guy, I don't think there's any surprise here. I went with Will Fuller. Um, Will Fuller is the wide receiver 16 in the NFL right now, and that's with the zero-point game against Baltimore and a bye. And if you drafted him in the sixth or seventh round, you're sitting pretty happy with the production you've gotten from him. He still leads his team in air yards through the first eight weeks of the season. Uh, and contrary to what was said initially, he's not just an over-the-top guy. 80% of his catches have been between 10 and 20 yards this season. Uh, he's running the intermediate routes. He's running them well because he's getting the targets. Uh, he doesn't lead his team in targets, but he leads them in air yards. It looks to me like Cooks is the more volatile role in that offense. He's had spiked weeks and spiked production. Uh and most importantly, Will Fuller is really outproducing. If you look at the names he's next to, he's 0.8 points less than Keenan Allen in scoring, and Keenan Allen's having a great season. Uh, so overall, I'm I'm full steam ahead on Will Fuller. Uh, I was a little worried about this take going into last night because I didn't know if the Packers were going to get it done, but I think that might have even been good for him to go to the Packers. Um, but now that he's on the Texans for the rest of the season – I think that he's going to have a great end of the year. He's still getting the number of targets and he's still being exceptional in the red zone where he's making even more plays. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, well, he's for the most part outside of the one weird game, he stayed healthy through half the season, which is a lot of the battle for him. Number one. So that's great. And he has produced, but at the same time, my rebuttal to that would be how many times has he kind of bailed out his own day you know, and Deshaun Watson bailed out his own day in garbage time. I mean, he had the garbage time touchdown against the Packers. He had an, at least one other game with a garbage time touchdown. Um, if you search Will Fuller garbage time on Twitter, let's just say you get a lot of a uh, lot of results. It, it it's the talk of the town um, on on the online networks. But he's been good. I just don't think he's like their clear wide receiver one. I mean, you mentioned it. Cook still leads them in targets. He's uh, fifty one for Cooks, forty seven. For Fuller, he also leads them in receptions. He's just down three touchdowns, and like I say, at least two of those have been have been garbage time. So I I think there's a decent chance rest of way that Cooks and Fuller are a lot closer. Well, they're already pretty close. It's just three touchdowns is the difference, really. But I I think there's a there's a chance that they're pretty much equals um, rest of season, and that I mean that still means Fuller can be pretty good. But I think if so if you're trading for Will Fuller, are you paying like a like top 12 receiver price for him? No, I still wouldn't pay a top 12 receiver price for him. But going in, that was never my assertion. I mm-hmm. thought he could finish in the top 24. Um, but I would pay a top 24 wide receiver price for him. Guys I'd be more comfortable who currently are scoring ahead of him, I would probably be more comfortable starting Will Fuller over DJ Moore, Amari Cooper, and Robert Woods. I'd probably feel more comfortable. Um, this, um, this Amari, Amari Cooper almost doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he definitely doesn't. Uh, <laughs> I was just looking at who's above him in scoring right now and who I'd feel more comfortable starting. Sure. Those are three guys for sure. I definitely would be more comfortable starting Will Fuller over. Yeah, I mean, you're, uh, Will Fuller's had a good season and he stayed healthy. I l- Let's hope he does stay healthy because obviously still that's a, a big part of the equation for him and whether or not – because if he is healthy, I do agree with you that I think he's – He's definitely like, I don't think he's going to be what he is right now, 
basically a top 12 receiver on points per game probably, but there's a good chance he's top 24 if he stays healthy um, rest of the season. Just that if you get somebody that treats him as just the far superior um, guy to Cooks, uh, trade value-wise, I I think if I have Fuller, I would I, I would I would trade him at top 12 value if I can get it because you might be able to get it based on what he's done. Yeah, and I would definitely do that too. I do think it's nice to see though that Will Fuller. I mean, the only game he caught an injury injury designation on was the Baltimore game, and outside of that, he's not been on the injury report every week, which is something you've never seen with him in his career. Uh, and more importantly, I think he's he's shown that he can have a pretty safe floor at the end of the day. I know you mentioned garbage time, but I mean, that's a game where he was facing against Jari Alexander and he was still able to pull in a, a score, which is impressive. And with this Texans team, there's going to be plenty of garbage time for him. So I'm not going to uh, really knock him hard on that one going forward. Yeah. At, at the same time, it's just always hard. That, that's just always hard to count on and kind of kind of living dangerously. But yeah, it's like you, you can't really say it, it's not going to happen until it doesn't happen. But just it oh. It's just a more dangerous game than when you have guys who are producing in the normal flow of an NFL game because it could just go away a lot easier than than the other stuff, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, but end all be all, I think you're happy if you drafted him in the sixth or seventh where he for could, sure where his ADP was. Him and Allen seem to be the real stills of that round. Yeah, um, if you took him over, let's say Michael Gallup, you're feeling pretty good about which of which of those two guys. Uh, you chose no no doubt about that um i was i'm trying to see points per game yeah i'm not gonna count all the way down there i think he he looks like he's like top 15 uh points per game so and and some of the points per game stuff gets a little weird because like travis fulgham's only played five games at 16.4 jameson crowder who i wasn't counting in any of my stuff because he's only played four games only half the season is averaging 16.2 points per game Jesus. Alan Lazard has only played three, is averaging 15.2. So and, and Corey Davis, weirdly enough, is averaging 13.9. Don't don't think that'll last. But so there's some weird guys up there that kind of skew things um based on fewer games or just ba- you know, whatever. Uh but okay, my next guy, and this is another guy that I have been right on so far, who I think I'm going to be right on rest of season. We touched on him a little bit last week. Uh, Terry McLaurin preseason, I had him closer to top 15, the top 25, which was where he was being drafted. He's wide receiver 19 right now with his buy, averaging 13.1 points per game. Most importantly, he's tied him f- for fourth in the NFL in targets per game among guys who have played more than four games. So basically excluding Jamison Crowder, because I want to see a bigger sample size uh, from him before I include him in that list. But he's tied with Stefan Diggs at 9.9 targets per game. He's behind only Devontae Adams, Keenan Allen, and DeAndre Hopkins. If that tells the type of guys that he is neck and neck with as far as volume goes. And that, that's why he's been so consistent this year. He, his two bad games are 8.6 and the 4.1 is bad. 8.6 is like a pretty respectable game, but that's his second worst game this year. 22, 10, 16.8, 10.9, 18.5. Basically, he's a top 20 wide receiver who's had his bye, but who hasn't really had like a blow-up week. He hasn't had like a 30-point week, which he's definitely capable of doing. He's only had two touchdowns this year, too, so it's not like the touchdowns are inflating things for him either. And amazingly, it seems like Kyle Allen might actually be um, better for him at quarterback. And it's not even necessarily because I'm 
confident he's better than Dwayne Haskins, but it seems like Washington thinks he's better than Dwayne Haskins and is more willing to throw the ball, throw it downfield a little bit more. And this is the best part for him and why I think he could be – he's not my fantasy MVP, but I think he's going to really lift a lot of teams into the playoffs and and play a huge role for, for those fantasy managers. His next four, Giants, Detroit, Cincinnati, and Dallas. That's a very, very, very friendly next next month of, of his schedule. And obviously we talked about it at length before the season. We talked about it even last week. He's just a stud. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL. And if he played elsewhere, people would even be a lot more excited about him. Yeah, um, you and I were both all in on, on Terry McLaurin at the start of the season. And I still think he's being undervalued as a wide receiver in the NFL. I still believe he should be mentioned Skill-wise, not fantasy-wise, within the top 12, he is so incredibly talented. Um, what he did to Trayvon Diggs two weeks ago was is just a remiss of what a talented NFL receiver does. Is He pointed at him, and he showed him who was boss, and he beat him on a downfield <laughs> route with little to no effort. Uh, you love the volume that the guy's getting because he bottoms out at seven targets a game. Mm-hmm. That's incredibly good. Uh, more importantly, that offense – their second highest targeted player is a tight end who I will not mention on this podcast <laughs> for fear of jinxing him this week. Um, but they just don't have a lot of weapons other than JD McKissick, who seems to be now playing a slot role almost. And then Antonio Gibson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, he gets the targets, but he's also been matched up against good corners. Uh, uh, d- despite him being a rookie, Trayvon Diggs was the highest graded rookie last week. So mm-hmm. we know he at least has skill underneath that. He faced, uh, Baltimore, and he was definitely the number one target there. And he had a 118 yard game. That's a team that wasn't allowing 100 yard games to anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, in his and in his bad game, you're probably about to mention his bad game. The four point game was against the Rams and against Jalen Ramsey, who have allowed uh, coming in the last week had allowed the least points to receivers um, this season. I don't know what it is after last week, but also Ramsey hardly played last week. So with Ramsey, they're probably still allowing the least amount of points per game to receivers. Yep, and I'm just looking at PFF Erickson's uh, coverage charts right now in week two against Arizona where Terry McLaurin had seven catches for 125 yards and a touchdown. He was shadowed by Patrick Peterson for 83% of his snaps. Uh, in the in the New York Giants game where he had seven catches for 74 yards, he was shadowed by James Bradbury for 92%. Um, now, the point I'm trying to make here is that these are – cornerbacks who have matched up against wide receiver ones all season and have shut them down. Uh, mm-hmm. James Bradbury is having a great comeback year. We all know who Patrick Peterson is. Uh, Terry McLaurin is that talented. He's also on the 32nd ranked passing offense and is somehow producing uh, <laughs> wide receiver 12 numbers. Uh, there's not a bad thing you can say about Terry McLaurin, except that his his touchdown side is capped because his team is ineffectual in the offense. Um, but that's, yeah, the, although that's I, the worst you can pick. Yeah, although I will say you at least feel more confident about their offense now than you did before the season, I think, because Gibson's turned into a nice player. If Kyle Allen's at least competent, and obviously I, I think Ron Rivera has made them a, a competent team too, they at least kind of have like the backbone of an okay offense. Uh, and, and so not to say they're going to be any good, but compared to what it's been for the first year and change for McLaurin, maybe the offense is even a little bit better down the stretch, which would – obviously go a long way for him as well well an important fantasy value is they're going to be in the playoff hunt until week 17 yeah. <laughs> uh, not to the yes. fault of their skill but to the fault of their division amazingly yes okay who, who's your next guy all right i w- actually with one of the guys i called for a bust as my second one 
Um, uh, so I just want to put this one out there. This was between David Johnson, who I'm starting to think I might have been right on, and Mark Ingram. I ended up picking Mark Ingram because I was he, say Mark, Mark, Mark Ingram's the stronger call. Yeah, right now, because sure. he seems like a clearer one. And it was just really, it really was solidified when he missed the game. And I'm not picking on him because he was injured. I'm picking on him because it showed how much better that offense is without Mark Ingram playing in the backfield. And I hope the coaches in Baltimore recognize that. Uh, Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins both rushed for over 100 yards on a team that hadn't allowed a 100-yard rusher and had the number one ranked defense when it came into rushing. Uh, in addition to that, when it comes to rush success rate, Gus Edwards has had the fourth highest in the NFL and J.K. Dobbins has had the third highest in the NFL for per, per PFF. Mark Ingram is all the way down at 48th in the NFL. They're running behind the same line. And both those guys got the majority of their carries behind a line without Ronnie Staley last week, who is a great run blocker. Um, those two kept their team in the game, despite Lamar Jackson's consistent efforts to lose them the game. Uh, so field on skill wise alone, you have two players who I believe are better than Mark Ingram at this point in his career. Uh, but then the fantasy perspective, Gus Edwards is a better first and second down rusher and JK Dobbins is more elusive and can catch balls more effectively than Mark Ingram. I don't think it's a good idea for the Ravens to come back and put Mark Ingram in this offense in any sort of reputable role because it looks like offensively they were a better team that kept their composure in a game where they struggled to win uh, with these two. The, the stats between behind J.K. Dobbins, he has the third best elusive rating. He was everything that he was promised coming into the NFL. The only difference between him and some of the other guys like C.E.H. is he hasn't gotten the, the majority of the opportunity to shine and the one week he was finally given close to an every down role, he really did shine. And I think both Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbins are two guys who could work in this backfield in tandem and be uh, relevant to good fantasy starters with RB2 downside to upside. Mm -hmm. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you halfway here. I think that Dobbins is the best running back on that team, but I think that Mark Ingram is still a better player than Gus Edwards. Um, I know he hasn't really been that this year, but I, I think if they bring Ingram back and he kind of slides into the role that Edwards just had the other day, I think that's fine. But I do think that Dobbins should be the number one guy in that backfield. I really liked the way that they ran um, the, the the little spread option a lot to him in that game and got him on the outside and and let him take advantage of his speed to the corner and and elusiveness kind of making guys miss on the outside he he was he was impressive and like you said that Steelers defense and I mentioned this in our waiver column when talking about Gus Edwards that went up on, on the substack dot half point per pod dot substack dot com went up on the substack yesterday but I mentioned this on there that yeah like that Steelers defense hadn't given up to anybody and, and those two guys just absolutely torched him so I do agree with you in that Ingram is definitely not what we drafted him to be. And I think Dobbins should be the guy who plays ahead of him. But at the same time, I do think Ingram should still play ahead of um, Gus Edwards. I think he's just mostly a, a big plotter, which is, I mean, Ingram can be that still. And uh, we know how these coaches are with their veteran running backs. They, they just can't quit him. So I'm sure he is going to have a role when he comes back. What would just be nice is if only two of those three had a role because we just saw how good it could be if it's just two. Like I would start Dobbins and Ingram if they were accounting for 90% of the backfield touches. But we just never know on a week-to-week -week basis. We'll see what happens when when all three are there, I guess. 
Yeah, that's the scary thing is he'll probably be back next week. But I do think if you drafted Mark Ingram at well, well, I'll be generous and say the four or five turn, even though I know he was going higher in some drafts in the three four turn. Uh, you're just very unenthused by the fact that Wayne Gallman is outscoring him uh, in total <laughs> points. Uh, Justin Jackson is outscoring him. Boston Scott, Frank Gore is outscoring him. Alexander Madison, uh, his own backfield mate Gus Edwards, Zach Moss. Okay, that, I mean, it, you know, that that does it for me. I mean, Zach Moss outscoring him, who has missed equal games to Mark Ingram. Uh, I just overall, I think Mark Ingram is probably borderline droppable at this point because, the like you were saying earlier, with all three backs healthy, it's borderline unusable for any of those backs in a startable offense because mm-hmm. you just don't know which one's going to pop off. Week one, it was Dobbins. Two weeks later, it was Mark Ingram with his long touchdown. Um I don't know. Out of all those backs, I think Mark Ingram and Gus Edwards are the most droppable. Uh, I would probably do Mark Ingram first at this point, though, because he's just been the least efficient in the offense. And I will say, uh, and I sent you the video yesterday, Field Yates did say that there's a real chance that Dobbins has permanently taken over the starting spot. And, you know, Field Field is an insider um, and knows a lot of people in, in, around the league. So when he says stuff like that, it at least makes you kind of perk your ears up. And, and in our case... Um, at least you and I, not Johnny's case, but in our case, hope that 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 is correct. So you were naming all these guys that that he that he's behind. Did you were you looking at his his season long rank? Do you know where he ranks among running backs this year? Yeah, he's fifty third. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was gonna see if you had a guess. I'm looking at it right now. Fifty third, averaging six point four points per game. He's four um, points higher than uh, Tony Pollard, who, mind you. <laughs> hasn't had a game where he started for the Dallas Cowboys. Well, Philip Lindsay's only played four games and is nearly there. So yeah, it's not been pretty for Mark Ingram. Um, I, I think that, yeah, I think that's probably a pretty, a pretty good one. Pretty good call on your part preseason. I did want to give myself a couple honorable mentions just to, to throw in there. Um, partially they're honorable mentions because I wasn't strong enough in my call preseason or it wasn't a very bold call it wasn't a very hard call to be right about and in one of the cases one of them's Kenyon drake so we've already talked about that enough didn't want to talk about that again feeling pretty good about that call at this point i didn't call him a bust but i was feeling pretty uneasy about where he was going i said that tyler lockett and dk metcalf i said word for word that they could be this year's uh, mike evans and chris goblin i did not advise people to draft them in that range so that's why i could not fully call them um, or, or say I was completely right on, on what they've been so far. They're both top five receivers. It's actually funny. Weeks one through nine last year, Tyler Lockett was wide receiver four. Weeks one through eight, he is again wide receiver four. We just hope that the injuries stay away this year and that can continue. Obviously, Metcalf, he's wide receiver two. So that's also one difference from from last year. But but yeah, I wasn't. I, I was saying it, I would maybe take Lockett in the in the third and I had a chance at Metcalf, I think, at the 3-4 and didn't. So I felt strongly about them, but I did not think they were going to both be top five guys by any means. And then DeAndre Hopkins, another guy that um, I felt pretty good about top five. Not exactly bold, but we disagreed there. So I, I just wanted to say that I do think that that is going to be right going forward. But I definitely have two guys who I'm feeling pretty bad about at this point going forward. Dalton, do you have any other HMs you want to give yourself for, for guys that you think you're going to be right on? I'm not calling it yet. Um, and we went back and forth on both these guys and both have been letdowns from fans perspective, but Josh Jacobs versus Miles Sanders. 
I do. I was looking at his receiving totals outside of the Carolina game. He is getting not close to where we initially, where I thought he would be landing versus where he's actually going to land. Um, and he has been a bit of a fantasy letdown outside of two, maybe if you count last week, three games. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's running back 10, so you're not feeling too bad about that. He's already had his buy, which other guys ahead of him have not, like CEH, like uh, Kareem Hunt, Todd Gurley, who's somehow the running back sixth, um, and On Zeke. Touchdowns. <laughs> you know what? That's just kind of Todd Gurley, though. It's like every, everyone says that every year, but hey, the guy runs hard at the goal line. That's all, that's all it takes for him, apparently. Um, and also, I don't know if you were watching that that Raiders Browns game the other day, but that second and goal, Josh Jacobs like clearly scored that touchdown. If they would have just challenged, the Raiders had two touchdowns that they got that completely jobbed on, quite frankly, because it looked like Ruggs actually did get his toe down on that one in the corner. There was a little bit of field between his toe and the sideline. Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like the like the kind of fade to the corner of the end zone. Yeah, because he's uh my he was one of my he was my big yep. DraftKings play. Uh, yep, he was so like off Cream Hunt and it hurt. You, he didn't should, get that. You should have got yeah, Cream Hunt really let me down. Um, so you should have got that touchdown, and then at the very end of the game on that second and goal, he clearly scored um that touchdown. And so if he has that touchdown, he's all of a sudden running back eight this year. So it hasn't felt the best. But at the same time, he still looks really good. Like he still really impresses me when I watch him play. Um, and he is a top 10 guy, could easily be higher. So I'm still feeling pretty good about Josh Jacobs. But I understand if uh, if people don't feel great just because it hasn't felt great. But you know what? There's a lot worse guys you could have taken at that point in the draft, um, just injury-wise or performance-wise. So I'd, yeah. say, I'd say people will take it. Well, and the other two guys I just wanted to honorable mention, uh, I know I went back and listened. I said Damian Harris is the back to own in New England. I still think that's true, and I think him finally getting released uh, shows that. However, with everything being said, uh, he probably wasn't worth the last round of the pick of the draft at this point. And the other guy, I was big on Jameson Crowder, and I think if he had been fully healthy, he probably would be within the top 16 wide receivers in points per game or in scoring totals. I know points per game doesn't really count because he's only played four, but those Mm -hmm. are two guys that have just been held back by injury that I think really have been outperforming where they've been drafted when they've gotten the opportunity to play. Mm -hmm. Did we make a bet on um, Josh Jacobs receptions? I don't remember. Obviously that was a big, a big point of contention, but I can't remember if we made a bet. I feel like we did, but Johnny would be the one to tell me. Johnny, you can look that up because I'm looking at his receptions right now. He's on pace for over. He's on pace to break forty. Which I think if you, I think if you were told that Josh Jacobs is on pace for almost forty-two receptions before the season, you'd probably take that, right? Definitely. Got anything, J Fam? Uh, the only bet that you guys have about Jacobs is oh, well, you don't have any about the receptions, but you have one of Chubb and Jacobs finishing over Sanders. No, it's both. And, I have to. I have to have both of those guys finish ahead of of Sanders. Which you know, yeah. feeling okay about Josh Jacobs. Really need Nick Chubb to come back strong from from that knee injury. I know um, Sanders has been banged up, but I guess I'm looking. Sanders is twenty six. You know what? He's not like <laughs> he's not like that far. Chubb is thirty four, and he's only 16, 18 points behind. Sixteen points behind. 
Um, and they're averaging almost the exact same points per game. So it could get could get a little tight. Get a little tight. Looks like it's going to be a pretty interesting bet. It is. It's going to be tighter than it should be. If both of guys <laughs> were healthy, we might have a better understanding of their values. <laughs> For sure. Um, okay. Now, guys, that we were wrong about, because like, like anybody who's talking about fantasy football, we were definitely wrong a lot. There's still time for guys to turn things around um, one way or another to either be bad, who we thought were going to be bad, or be good for guys that we thought were going to be good. But at this point, Dalton, I'm feeling really terribly about the Marquise Brown call. Um, I said before the season that I thought that he was basically on, he, he was going to be a breakout star in the NFL this year. And he just, he flat out hasn't been. Obviously, he tweeted out his frustration uh, after the game the other day. Um, the missed throws by Lamar. Uh, there's that video going around on Twitter. Was it Ian Harwitz? Is that who yeah, he put out? Harwitz. Where it's uh, just like a montage of like 30, 30 seconds of Lamar just missing um, Marquise Brown on relatively open shots down the field for the most part. He had one reception for three yards and thank God goodness it was for a touchdown on sunday for those for those who started him in fantasy but he's wide receiver 43 um averaging 9.1 points per game so some guys that he's behind Michael hardman who i mean hey it's it's not felt good for Michael hardman all year he had a good game the other day but you know Watkins has been hurt and you still can't use him so it hasn't been what we hoped maybe for him so far this year um, but by the numbers, he's still been fine based off uh, a couple of good games. Uh, Jamison Crowder in four games is outscoring Marquise Brown. Scotty Miller, who, yeah, he's played every game, but he's not really played every game because when the Bucks are actually healthy, he's not, for the most part, uh, a fantasy producer. Um, Jarvis Landry, who, I mean, he's just been kind of blah this year. You don't think of him as a, a, a guy with really hardly any upside, maybe more now without odell just on volume alone but last season he was wide receiver 44 uh marquise brown was he's 43 right now so he's basically having the same season as he had last year last year he averaged 9.3 points per game he only played in 13 games and we talked about a lot or at least i did before the season how he was dealing with the list frank all year last year so he just he wasn't healthy um especially early on he could easily have been a top 30 guy last year if he played all 16 games. And so it seemed like a layup. That's what he was going to be this year. And I think he could still be top 30, but I had higher, higher hopes for him than that. I was hoping maybe he could be a top 20 guy and thought he was really in for a breakout season. I think it's more on Lamar and his usage than him. I think he is still very good, but I'm just concerned that that upside I hoped and saw for him. I just don't know if it's there anymore this year. I was hoping you would mention him because he was an honorable mention because I have bigger names I've missed. Um, but before I we we jump any more into this, I just want to say I believe in the process with every single one of the guys I labeled here of why they were labeled <laughs> a bust. I, I believe in the also the process as to why uh, Marquise Brown should be a good wide receiver. And the issue with Marquise Brown this year is not Marquise Brown. The issue is Lamar Jackson and the way that that offense is being funneled through Lamar Jackson. Uh, we saw a bit of his passing splendor against the Steelers. Granted, they're great defense. Additionally, he missed a lot of throws that he should have made. Uh, looking into some PFF stats, just for this honorable mention, because I'm so upset about the Marquise Brown call, because 
I, as well as you, mentioned that post Liz Frank, he was going to be great. And that was mm-hmm. proof in the one playoff game he had last season where he yeah. went off <laughs> for a nuclear game. Uh, Lamar Jackson is 22nd in the NFL in deep pass attempts. He is 28th in deep pass attempt accuracy. Uh, the video going around on Twitter that Evan mentioned, you can't get much more open than Hollywood Brown. Uh, additionally, uh, Mark Ingram isn't targeting him on the deep routes. He's targeting him on the short routes he's being thrown to on the majority. Lamar, uh, if, if Mark Ingram's targeting him, it probably wouldn't go oh, well. Lamar, Lamar, Jackson. Lamar Jackson. Uh, and the worst part about all of this is that for whatever reason, uh, he's not owning a major percent of the targets. Miles Boykin is getting a significant share of the targets. So is Devin DuVernay. Uh, those guys aren't great wide receivers. I don't care what you tell me. Uh, and Willie Sneed is even getting targets. Uh, at the end of the day, Jake, or sorry, Marquise Brown leads the team at air yards, and that's only because he runs so many deep routes. I just think he's being misutilized in the offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but I also don't think he's a guy you can trust starting a lot of weeks. He has flex play upside. Um, but, you know, next week they go against Indianapolis, which is one of the best pass defenses. Then he likely draws a matchup against New England and Stefan Gilmore. And then they play Tennessee and Pitt. Week 13, they f- play Dallas and then Cleveland and Jack. So he finishes out strong, but he's Ten- going to have a tough Tennessee's, Tennessee's defense actually has not been very good for the most part this year. But, yeah, uh, otherwise, yeah, it's, a, it's kind of a tough next few games, which is kind of what we talked about with Baltimore a few weeks ago. We were just trying to get a read on their on their backfield. It's like it, we're, they really weren't going to be playing a lot of competitive games until now, and, and now that's here. You, you mentioned uh, – the volume for him. He's at 44 targets this year, leads the team. But when you think about that, um, that just kind of shows you the bow. I mean, 39 for Mark Andrews, but then 22 for Snead and Boykin apiece. Devin Duvenay, 15. Dobbins, 16. Um, 6.3 targets per game is where Hollywood is at right now. That that's just That's just not enough. I mean, he's only at 27 receptions, which he doesn't have to be a high reception guy, but you just would like the the volume at least target wise just to just to be a little bit more uh for for a guy of that talent you expect him to be in an alpha wide receiver role with his supporting cast and he's just not which is strange yeah and i'm now i'm curious to see what like tyree kill what his target what 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 his targets are too um but yeah it it just hasn't it just hasn't felt great um for hollywood this year and now he's got the the fact that he seems frustrated with his role and you know, Harbaugh broke some major news when he said that, yeah, he's probably a little frustrated <laughs> the other day. Yeah. It's like, like, thanks coach. That I, I, I think we could all, um, we could all see that. And so you can see the difference between, you know, Tyree kill. He's in a much higher volume passing offense, um, 54 targets. So 10 more targets than, than Hollywood that is in one more game. So they're really not that far off in, in volume actually. So I guess, you know that that's just, I guess, the difference between the Chiefs and the Ravens as far as passing and usage for the most part. Yeah, and and, and usage. Um, seven touchdowns for Tyree Kill also uh, get the job done too. That definitely will. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I'm hurting on the Marquise Brown take because I thought he was going to be a really good wide receiver. And Adam Levitan was on all 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 off season saying. With these small wide receivers, there's only been one or two who've been really successful. One I know, and I two. and I knew you were going to bring that up because you brought up preseason. But I that that's just to me that's not the reason why. Like I and we just talked about it. it it's just not it, it. 
Like, I don't want to hear that as a reason next year as to why he can't be great because I don't think that's why he hasn't been this year. I don't disagree, but it's just a it's just a it's just a fact pattern that we're really shooting for an outlier in a in a field full of bodies where you know small guys haven't panned out. Yeah, but uh, it's st- stuff like that is just always so funny because well, well, I I think the because I, I just listened to it yesterday, the exact line that you mentioned was like guys under 180 pounds. Tyreek Hill is the only one that's ever had a top 12 season yep. but how many guys who weigh 183 pounds have had uh, a top 12 season it's like that, that, that's where stuff like that gets weird it's like it's, a, it's such an arbitrary cutoff similar to to like a waiver wire uh cut off 40 40 percent well we can just watch uh the hashtag pound the gym twitter next year and see if he puts on another 20 pounds of muscle yeah. in the offseason yeah he, he did put on a lot of weight this offseason coming to this year is like 25 pounds. But all right, who's 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 your, I guess, your first guy that you think you're wrong about? Um, so this guy I was wrong about before the injury, and I'm wrong about especially after the Chubb injury, but it is Kareem Hunt. Um, first, I just want to run through some of the things I said. Kevin Stefanski <laughs> only deployed running backs on eight snap running back, running back on eight snaps in his career at Minnesota. He did that on 75% of the snaps in weeks one through five. With I was going to say, I, I think he probably like doubled that just to week one alone. Yeah, he did. So he completely changed his play calling notion. That's not something that's very predictable. Um, well, it is, but it is, it, it isn't, but it is because, you know, you, you call, you play call your, to your strength, to your strengths of your roster. Well, not all NFL coaches do that. And I didn't know Correct. if Kevin Spansky was smart or not. And apparently <laughs> he is. Um, now with uh, Chubb out, it's back down. They've only done it twice. Rest in peace to all of the Dearness Johnson money I spent. Uh, <laughs> some things that would have led me to uh, change my take here would have been Hunt getting extended before I made this take because it shows that the front office and the coaching staff really like him with the amount of money they were willing to give him and keep him on board. Additionally, I came out and said, what, is Kareem Hunt going to get 50 to 80 targets and play in the slot? Yes, Kareem Hunt has on 25 <laughs> targets. He's on pace for 50. And yes, Kareem Hunt was playing in the slot when Nick Chubb was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, he, might, he, might, he might even be on pace for more receptions, fewer rushing yards probably, but more receptions had Chubb been healthy this whole time. Yeah, so everything I said was just wrong. It was just dead wrong, and the exact opposite has occurred. Uh, and last, I went on, I was mentioning that I think this offense is going to be more explosive with the play action. I was wrong there, too, because Baker Mayfield can't throw a good ball until Eldell's not on the field. Uh, so <laughs> all in all, I do agree with the process that led me to this take, um, but I am regretting that there were there were factors that I just couldn't predict here. I, st- I think looking at a coach's usage is important. I just undervalued how much they would see the skill set that Kareem Hunt is, and then I also overvalued them playing into their passing game more uh, and probably overvalued Baker Mayfield again for the second straight year. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot more to, to add to that. Kareem Hunt's a top, top five uh, running back right now. Let me look for sure. Oh, he's seventh, so he's dipped a little bit. Um, so he's top eight, been been great. It hasn't probably been as good as people hoped since Chubb has gone out, but it's been, I mean, you've been able to start Cream Hunt basically every week and and feel good about it this year, which I don't even think the Cream Hunt optimists were thinking it was going to be as good as it was with Chubb. And I'm a little skeptical it will still be two top ten backs um rest of season once Chubb is back, but We'll see there. And yeah, the only other thing I would add to that is uh, 
I say I say it before the season. It's really hard to predict usage and and how guys are going to be used, and this is a, a very good example of that. Um, of that, absolutely. Uh, my next guy. This really pains me to to say. I don't know if it's all his fault, but alas, I think I am wrong on Devin Singletary. Tough day, tough day. I still like Devin Singletary a lot as a player, but the touchdowns just haven't broken his way, which, you know, somewhat predictable, but also touchdowns are just kind of fluky. Maybe he scores six 10-yard touchdowns. I think we all knew he wasn't going to ever be a traditional goal lineback, but to have one touchdown in eight games, one touchdown total in eight games, for anybody getting the ball as often as as he has is just – a little fluky, so that doesn't help him. But at, at the same time, Buffalo just really has not run the ball like we thought they were going to this year as far as effectiveness, number one, and just volume, number two. And I think that's part uh, – that was – I love Singletary as a player, but also part of the value was, well, that's just a, that, that's a great rushing situation. It always has been. Singletary is a good player. You know, a little shaky on the quarterback, but – you know, hey, I, I just thought the Bills would rely more heavily on the run, and they just haven't. I mentioned last week, but in that Jets game, he didn't even get his first carry until halfway through the second quarter. Um, and the, if you go look through their game log, there's a lot of games where he doesn't even get to like 11 touches. And part of that is Josh Allen was was very, 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 very good the first four games. But the last three or four, he's been just you know fine. Had a cu- had one or two games that were even pretty bad, and it's not like Singletary has seen uh, a massive spike in volume. Well, let's look at the last couple of games actually uh, for him and and Zach Moss just volume wise. Versus the Patriots, it was fifteen to fourteen in favor of Singletary. Zach Moss gets the two touchdowns. Versus the Jets, the week before that, ten to ten, complete split. Week one. Uh, Moss's touchdown in that game as well. 13-12 in favor of Singletary. So you can look at three of the games where Moss has been a full go, full healthy the whole game, and it's been basically 50-50. And against the Jets, the snap count was not even 50-50. It was much more tilted to Zach Moss. As a team, they're only on pace for 420 rushes this year. Uh, For some context, they're 14th in the league without having their bye. So they're really probably more like 18th in the league if you look at rushes per game. Last year, they were 465 total, which, you know, 45 rushes may not feel like a huge difference, but that's clear up at sixth in in the NFL. And then 468 the year before that, that's up in the top five or six as well. If you just look at Singletary himself, he's on pace for 186 carries. 42 receptions and just over a thousand, just over a thousand yards or just under 1100. Uh, last year, if you take a 16 game pace, he, he only played 12 and he only started eight. And I think he even maybe left one of the games early with a hamstring, but he played 12 games last year, a 16 game pace, 201 carries, 39 receptions, almost 1300 yards. So the volume and the production were both just better last year. And even if we were concerned about Zach Moss, I don't think anybody thought that just uh, the efficiency would drop off like like it has, and the volume would would drop off quite like it has for for him this year. Yeah, this was a situation where just similar to Cleveland, 
uh, changing in one of the personnel, and that is uh, Stefan Diggs, really affected the team differently. Uh, it's just increased their play action and their passing rate to a rate that we wouldn't have expected. Mm-hmm. If you would have told me that Josh Allen would be throwing the ball 40 times in some of his games, I would have called you an idiot despite all of my early Josh Allen is great takes. Uh <laughs> Uh, additionally, I never expected it to come out to be a full 50-50 share. I think on the pod mm-hmm. I said it would probably be a 60-40 in favor of Singletary. And uh, it looks like it's a full 50-50 uh, running back by committee. Uh, Zach Moss is taking the goal line work, and Devin Singletary is getting a lot of the t- between-the-20s work, which is just mm-hmm. not as valuable. Um, but there's also just zero receiving upside in this offense for running backs, which is pretty pretty tragic. Uh, I mean, Singletary did have a couple of early games where they were running the ball, where they were just playing really well, where he got a lot of targets. But since they've struggled, uh, his targets have gone down. I still do believe, I know he hasn't been as efficient this year, and I said this a couple podcasts ago, but the offense seems to run better with Singletary on the field. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just as, on a camera, uh, it looks like he's a better pass blocker. Uh, Zach Moss missed two big pass blocks last week that I did notice. Um, I don't think I've seen Devin Singletary do that. Um, but what really hurts is that with Zach Moss out, Devin Singletary actually started to produce worse uh, in those games. He's actually had more points in games with Zach Moss than without. Uh, and you just don't really like to see that. So maybe, um, you know, last week he only played 48% of the snaps, but he still had nine, 9.7 points. He had a really efficient game. He had 86 yards on the ground on 14 carries. You kind of hope that maybe Singletary can still get it done, but mm-hmm. I don't think – I think it's pretty capped at a RB3 flex upside just because yeah. I don't see much goal line work, which means there's not a lot of TDs in that offense for him. Yeah, and preseason I felt pretty strongly about him as a like a top 20 guy. I think right now, let me find it, he's running back 27, which I think is pretty much in lockstep with where I expect him to finish this year is more of a, a top 30 guy, a flex play, like like you said. So, yeah, it's disappointing. Um, and just another example of it, it's tough to predict usage, even though, yeah, we still both think that he's the better player than Zach Moss. I don't think Zach Moss has like done anything like crazy. He's been fine, but I think Singletary is better. But you know what? If they're going to use you 50-50, it, it's, it's tough in an offense where the efficiency just hasn't been there. And... Maybe it's just a, a case with Singletary where, I mean, we we see a lot of small guys who get more usage than that, but maybe it's a case with that coaching staff where, you know, they see him as a guy who they just need, the, he needs another guy to stay healthy and stay fresh. Yeah, and that just might be the situation, which just isn't indicative for good fantasy performances, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, okay. Um Dalton, I, I've got I think I've got one honorable mention for this one, but I'll let you give your last one and I'll I'll give my last HM and then we can get out of here. Okay. Well, this is a guy who everything I said is correct. He just defied all odds. His name <laughs> is Aaron Jones. All right. I went back and listened to my takes. Uh I said there's no way he repeats this playing 60% of the snaps because he had massive TD regression incoming. He's still only playing 60% of the snaps. In fact, he has games where he's playing 48% and he's still scoring a massive amount of points. Uh, He has seven total touchdowns, which means he's almost on pace for 16 total touchdowns despite missing a few games. Uh, So he's not regressed, unfortunately, for my call. Um, He may not be a bust yet, though, uh, and he probably won't be because he's had some pretty good games. I will say 45% of his fantasy points came in one game this season where he scored like 42 or 43 points. Uh, 
the take, the, the things that led me to believe I overvalued AJ Dillon and his massive quadriceps uh, coming into this. Uh, additionally, I do think that some of his past usage comes back down with Lazard back. His massive game came the same game Alan Lazard didn't finish. Um, I also had maybe Fuller becomes a Packer in this note. Oh, that's so sad. I really wanted that to happen. Um, but there is no Will Fuller there. Uh, and again, the man is making his money off of being very efficient and limited playing time. He, I think he has one game where he scored 19 points in 48% of the snaps. That, that's pretty crazy. Uh, it just feels unsustainable. I'm going to make the same take next year that Aaron Jones should. I'm just going to do it. I'm already going to do it. I'm going to say that he shouldn't be drafted <laughs> in the top 24 because his top usage, 24. Yeah. I'm going to say it again next year because his usage feels unsustainable, especially the, the turn in the first round, at least his usage feels unsustainable and his scoring and his targets are just unsustainable because he's not on the field enough to continue to get this sort of production. It is a, he's amazing. He can catch the ball. He's an amazing receiver and he should get every down workload like Jamal Williams is getting right now. And he doesn't. And until he does, I will continue to pound my hammer that he shouldn't be drafted high because it's a very, very uncertain situation. If he can continue to produce like that. Well, uh, yeah. So you can get fooled by the snap counts, I guess. But if you look at the actual volume, 22 22 18 20 and then 15 um when they got just blitzed at tampa so be basically a lock for 15 touches a game and if you're going to give a guy of that talent basically 20 touches at every game uh he he's gonna score some touchdowns and he's just kind of he he's turned into a guy who's a good enough player explosive enough player where he's just kind of an outlier there, there are just outliers, and, and he is that. I, again, will tell you next year, if you say don't take him in the top 24, I will say you are wrong. He is he is definitely going to be a first-round pick uh, next year after doing this, as, as long as he doesn't like fall off a cliff when he comes back um, from injury. He is definitely going to be a first-round pick if he continues to have a good season. You mentioned that a lot of his production came in one game, which is true, but you can also flip that the other way and say, you know, it. what's encouraging is, yeah, he had the one great game, but, you know, 14, 15, 19, 11. Um, he hasn't had any bus games yet. So, number one, that is just so valuable at running back. And number two, he hasn't had a second blow-up game yet, which he is definitely capable of many more, you know, 20 or 30-point games um, uh, on any given week. Yeah, and he definitely is. It's just if you told me a player scored 43% or 43 fantasy points and played 47% of the snaps, I would be completely miffed to find a player in the NFL who can do that other than Aaron Jones. And I just don't feel well, comfortable betting on him to continue to do that, despite the fact that he continues to prove me wrong. And I'll keep going back to beating the war drum on this one. Again, though, 47% of the snaps, but 22 touches. So I know. It, it depends on which way you phrase it. It's like, yeah, 47% of the snaps, but also, you know, 22 touches and for him to produce that, that, that that's not crazy. Like, that's normal. No, and I get that, but it's it seems very hard to keep 20, to get 22 touches on 47% of the snaps is, is my argument. Well, that he basically has to touch the ball like every three downs to get that kind of touch per touch to snap share percentage. Well, I tell you what, man, when you draft a backup quarterback and backup running back with your first two draft picks, when you don't sign any receivers besides, um, can't even think of the poor guy's name. Um, uh, he played for the Bears first. No, uh, the, the, the guy who opted out, 
who played for the Panthers for a little bit. Devin Funchess. Well, Devin Funchess is your free agent receiver you bring in. You don't trade for anybody. Um, when it's a receiver and a running back, and those are your two weapons, uh, yeah, both those guys are going to touch the ball a lot. And it seems like the Packers are just uh, perpetually never going to bring in a wide receiver. Yeah, it seems like Brian Gunters do something we didn't, which is you can just target Aaron Jones five times a game and get 80 yards at a touchdown out of the guy. Yeah, and... Like I'm looking just as an example at, you know, Camara's snap share and, you know, his is a lot higher, but at the same time, like he's had a couple games over, over 70, he was just at 79, but you know, you're looking high sixties, mid seventies for a lot of his games this year. So basically he's like a, a Camara light um, in the sense that his snap count, like Camara's snap snap count is not as high as, you know, someone like Zeke or, you know, Gurley in his prime or, you know, Christian McCaffrey even or or guys like that. But he's just so electric and so good that that he's going to produce. And I think Aaron Jones is just a slightly lesser version of that. Yeah. Um, if he was getting Alvin Kamara's snap share, he might break fantasy scoring records. Well, and maybe it's a case like, I mean, well, it clearly seems like it is a case like with Singletary where they for for the health of the player. And, you know, right now he's not healthy. So that's another topic. Uh, he might not even play this Thursday for the health of the player. They just think it's best to to keep the snap snap count down because just with that offense, it's hard to resist give, giving him the ball. When he's on the field, clearly. Yep. Yeah. But that's all I have to say about Aaron Jones. I'll beat the same drum again next offseason. <laughs> we'll find out if I'm wrong again, probably. So my one HM. Um, I still think maybe, and it's crazy, I think there's maybe a chance that he ends up being not a terrible call. And it hasn't been a terrible call yet because it hasn't really hurt you that badly. Uh, Cam Newton, he's like down in the 20s in quarterback, but he obviously missed with COVID and has had all that going on. Started off really great, even with the negative 0.18 point game two weeks ago. He's still like in the mix uh, as far as like a top 20 like per game guy. So... Still a little iffy on that one, but that's one where if this keeps up, it's looking like that could be a bad call. But it's quarterback; it's late in drafts, so doesn't hurt you too bad, Dalton. If you unless you have any HMs, we've got to get to the fantasy MVP real quick. Almost left that off. I do. It's Darren Waller. He's repeating his target share. I didn't think was possible, <laughs> despite the addition of weapons, because they're misusing Henry Ruggs. Uh, in addition to that, somehow Derek Carr manages to put together seasons where he looks good occasionally um not a lot to say there tight ends a wasteland and darren waller and kelsey are probably the only two guys you're really happy with having every week uh hawkinson and fant might be honorable mentions there but yeah, overall fant, tight ends if, a wasteland yeah fant wasn't dealing with his injury he because he was a top a, i think he was tight end three before he got hurt so yeah that that's been unfortunate but but yeah okay so fantasy mvp um I did not go very bold here. I went with a pretty obvious pick, quite frankly. I, did we I go with want... the same pick? I wonder. Uh, who's your pick? DK Metcalf. No, okay, we didn't go with the same pick. My my pick is Christian McCaffrey. Um, most And part of my rationale for this is that most people who have Christian McCaffrey, um, they've probably had Mike Davis, or at least they had every opportunity to get Mike Davis because they probably they have the most incentive to bid, obviously. So they had Mike Davis. They're still in the thick of it. So it's not like other examples uh you know in years past where like number one overall player gets hurt and you're just completely sunk um so you get just the boost of the number one guy preseason coming back 
the timetable was not sped up at all for him, which I love. The timetable was four to six weeks. It's been a full six weeks. There was the push to play last week. Glad he didn't on the Thursday get the whole another 10 days. She'll be back again this week. And part of the, the reason, too, um, and you talked about last week, I still, even though last week wasn't a great week for the offense and for Teddy Bridgewater, I still see him as a as a fringe every week starter at least. Um, again, the weather was just brutal there the other night. Rainy, windy. He also got absolutely rocked on a dirty hit in the third quarter. That kind of changed his night a little bit too. So you think back to the terrible offenses that McCaffrey has played in and carried, and obviously the volume has been really high, but was the number one player on some just brutal teams. Um, the offense should be better, has been better even without him. Um, so even if the volume is a little bit down from years past, which I think it should be to keep him healthy, um, and Mike Davis should still be involved in some capacity, I think the situation is just better. He should be able to be more efficient. And basically the way I look at it is you've got Mike Davis, you're trading a fringe RB1 straight up for a top two running back rest of season in my mind. And that's just such a huge boost to, to anybody's team. You look at a schedule, Kansas City, um, obviously the Chiefs can be had on the ground. You would imagine they will try to do that um, to stay in the game against the Chiefs. Tampa Bay, you don't love, um, but obviously McCaffrey, he's he's so bulletproof that you expect a pretty good game there because he had a pretty good game against Tampa in week two when he got hurt. But then Detroit, you love. Minnesota, you love. Denver is fine. Green Bay actually has given up a lot of production of running backs, and then Washington in the in the championship um, championship week. So not a terrible schedule for an elite player. He was number one player the first two weeks, or basically every bit number one player, I should say. The first two weeks, averaging basically twenty five points per game. That is second at the running back position. Again, only two games, so I'm not really counting it. But just for a point of reference, that would be second. Um, points per game wise and I'm pretty sure that was probably number one before last week because Dalvin Cook is now number one and obviously he went just completely bonkers four touchdowns the other day so McCaffrey top two guy when he comes back and I think a lot of his managers are probably still very much in the thick of it yeah hopefully you held on to him um, because I'm sure there's some managers who got antsy early on and made a trade or your manager like somebody in one of our leagues who didn't pick up Mike Davis and you're really <laughs> feeling the pain are you feeling bad about turning down my not real offer of Christian McCaffrey for Jonathan Taylor straight up? Uh, well, it was a not real offer. Uh, <laughs> you should so still I feel bad. Very, I have a not real feeling on that one. Um, <laughs> but no, he has a great rest of season schedule and they're utilizing him effectively and their offense seems to be good. Those are all positive trends for him. Uh, my guy, like I mentioned earlier, he's also pretty chalky. It's DK Metcalf. Uh, just some... Some fun little tidbits. He plays the Bills, the Cardinals, the Giants, the Eagles, the Jets, and the Washington football team all in the next couple of weeks. He showed last week he can catch the ball on a short throw and then just somehow make everybody else move in quicksand on that 50-yard touchdown run he had. He's just absolutely incredible. Uh, Russell Wilson's playing at a high level of football when it comes to throwing it. Their defense might change a little bit when Jamal Adams is back, but as long as their defense is bad, their offense has to score every other possession just to stay in the game. Uh, there's not a lot. We've said a lot about DK Metcalf on this podcast, so I'm not going to really uh, beat the drum there. So I'm going to step real quick in on an honorable mention, though, and it's Antonio Gibson. I think Antonio Gibson could be a rest of season MVP. Mm -hmm. He 
He's coming off a post-week bye, and everybody knows that rookies usually get an uptick on uh, snaps after the bye, unless yeah, you're Jonathan John, Taylor. Yeah, unless you're Jonathan Taylor. Um, but he an might ankle. have had an ankle injury. Uh, but they play the Giants next week. They play the Lions, the Bengals, the Cowboys. The only hard game left on their schedule, really, is the Steelers, which would be the week before your playoffs. So you're hoping you don't need them for that game. Uh, but then the playoffs, he gets the Niners, who haven't been a good team on the ground. Uh, then he gets the Seahawks, who definitely haven't been a good team. And then he gets the Panthers, who definitely haven't been a good team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think he's another guy uh, that you should be targeting in trades right now, especially because he still probably lacks a little bit of the name value appeal. Uh, and he didn't play last week, so maybe his owners are a little remiss mm-hmm. if they're not that much of a sharp. For sure. I- I'm with you on Gibson. We talked about him a little bit uh, last week when we talked about Washington. Just for fun, we didn't prepare this, but do you have anybody that – you see as a LVP down the stretch because mine is definitely Ezekiel Elliott. He's running back four right now. Doesn't, you know, that's mainly on the strength of playing all eight games um, and having a good start with Dak at quarterback. He's, I feel like he's just going to be killer down the stretch because he's such a big name that you just, you have to start him. Number one, you can't not start him. Um, Number two, he's a really tough guy to trade because it's like, because you're not going to get back fair value if you trade him now. But if he has a big game, you spent such high draft capital on him where if he has a big game, you're going to want to be like, okay, like this is what I drafted this guy for. I don't want to trade him. So I think he's just he just has a chance to be a real killer uh, for, for fantasy managers down the stretch. Uh, yeah, it's unfair you took Zeke because Zeke was the <laughs> low-hanging fruit. Yep. Um, I will just say I know this is unfair because he's on IR right now, but George Kittle is another LVP. Uh, he was probably a guy you were significantly invested in, like me, uh, who significantly hurt you. Uh, I also think Calvin Ridley's an LVP. I think there's still some fool's gold in that one. I know he's wide receiver one. I get it. Um, but something about Calvin Ridley's production doesn't seem sustainable. He does not. He is not the wide receiver one in that offense, despite what his fantasy points say. I will die on that hill as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there are owners who are overzealous about his ability to produce them like he did the first two weeks, and I don't see that happening. I think he's more of a 10- to 12-pointer game, not a blow-up for 20 points every other week like guys like Lockett and DK mm-hmm. can do. Yep, and before we get out of here, I, I did just want to mention, I forgot to mention this, and the guys I could be wrong about, uh, or am wrong about, but looking through the list, another candidate for fantasy MVP for me down the stretch, quite frankly, and he's been that. Um, because of where you drafted him, probably. Uh, Keenan Allen and just the Chargers situation as a whole, we were all very, very wrong on that. We we were told that Herbert was going to take a while, was going to be really, uh, really raw. Um, he's been great. We'll probably talk about that a lot more next week when we get to the AFC, but uh, yeah. if you have Keenan Allen and you have Herbert, you are feeling very good. Yeah, well, you were right on the Tyrod take. We just didn't know Herbert was going to take over. <laughs> someone injected a needle into Tyrod's lungs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I did even like elevate Keenan Allen a little bit on the guys we changed our opinions on, but that was only based on talent. I still said I was scared of the situation and was not taking him like as a top twenty guy. So, and he clearly should have been. He he has a chance to be great down the se- down the stretch of the season if he's healthy. Dalton, anything else to add on this AM podcast? I don't. Uh, hopefully next Tuesday or whenever we run the podcast, uh, we know who's president <laughs> of the United States. We will find out, though. 
Yes, we, we will eventually find out who is president. Until then, that is going to do it for episode 20 of the Half Point for Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Half Point for Pod. We'll have a live stream there on Sunday morning. You can ask Start Sit questions, and you probably noticed that the Start Sit stream absent at the end of this one. We're going to do that Sunday morning this week, so come join us over there for that. Um, the show is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, and elsewhere. Follow the newsletter as well. That is halfpointforpod.substack.com. We also tweet out the newsletter links every week. Every Tuesday, waivers are out. Sometimes you get a second newsletter depending on how we're feeling that week. But until Sunday, um, have a good couple days, guys. Hopefully we find out who's president. Hopefully we have some quality Thursday night football. And we will talk to you all again on Sunday.